0: so glad you're here with us on the clark howard show where you're empowered with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make our main website clark.com coming up in just a few minutes you love to shop online you gotta know a lot of the things being sold right now online are fakes anytime you're looking at designer stuff online be prepared be wary And coming up yet later, speaking of shopping online, I recently had an order declined, and it was because I didn't have a high what's known as trust score. Did you know I wasn't trustworthy? I'm going to fill you in on what that is, what that means to you, what you've got to know about the constant war against fraudsters in online sales. So I've been... Uh, very impressed by something lately that I know a lot of people would say, why is that impressive? But I've been impressed by people who send a handwritten thank you note or send a traditional card because that's a lost art. We are so electronic oriented now. We're so into sending electronic invitations, electronic thank-you notes, electronic greeting cards, electronic birthday cards, and doing all the things we do with texting and social media posts when there's a special event in somebody's life, that it's gotten to where it's so unusual to receive something personal. And at Aldi the other day, in the center aisle, if you're not familiar with Aldi, in addition to being a grocery store, They have these these center aisle buys where they sell non-food items that they rotate through. And they had a pack of 50 cards for all-occasion cards, birthday cards, greeting cards, sympathy cards, all that stuff. And it cost me $2 for 50 of them. What does that mean I paid per? twenty five. I paid like nothing, right? Four cents each? That can't be right. Four cents each. Wow. No wonder I grabbed it and put it in my cart and bought that thing. So I was inspired to do that because I really am impressed with these, how unusual and how much it stands out when you write somebody a personal card or personal note. And I recommend to you, if you're looking for a job and you've had an interview, send... A personal note thanking someone, even if you are not hired for the job, that personal note, particularly my handwriting, I don't know anybody reads anything I write because I got the worst handwriting in the world, but if your handwriting is passable or readable, a handwritten note pays off so much because it's the novelty of it. I mean, think about how many stores don't even stock greeting cards anymore. You know, my go-to is Dollar Tree for a special occasion card, and the space they have for them keeps shrinking, but the price still remains great, 50 cents or a dollar, depending on the greeting card, and you make such a completely different impression than you do if you send an electronic greeting. Now, I have my own thing I do on people's birthdays that... Drives everybody in my family crazy. You're smiling, Joel. Do you know what it is? Is this where you reuse the same card every year for like a decade or more? No, no. It's my wife who sends me the same Valentine card every year, and she's done this one card for uh, 15 years or so. No. It's that uh, I use the, uh, the fact we've got time zones all over the world, and it's the next day already you know in australia new zealand so i send somebody birthday wishes the day ahead let them know i'm really thinking of them and i'll send them a text saying hey you know it's already your birthday in auckland they're all celebrating and so my family's like over that but whatever you can do that makes it stand out makes a special occasion stand out is great and sometimes lost arts like Sending somebody something where you send it with an actual stamp, whatever they cost now, that is something that makes a real impression. I have forever stamps and I bought uh, what was not a great number of stamps years ago when the forever stamps first came out. I still have them because I send so few things through the mail in an entire year. David's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, David. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Thank
1: you so much for taking my call, Clark. Just want to say thank you for all that you do. Absolutely.
0: And it's really important to ask you how you're doing because you want to talk (laughs) about health coverage.
1: Yes. Uh, Yes. So what happened was that um, my wife recently um, got hired uh, at a new company. And so they offer her a health savings account. And um, what happens is that she's currently under my medical uh, plan. Uh, I work at an HMO, and so uh, our medical coverage covers uh, the entire family. Um, She's also included. My question is that I know how great of an HSA account is, but um, would it make sense for her to split up away from my plan and to be on her own, or would it make sense to have her uh, be part of my medical plan and waive the HSA account. Um, So just want to hear your thoughts on it.
0: Yeah, as much as I love HSAs, and for Uh those not aware of what an HSA is, it's where you have a very high deductible, well, high deductible health plan. I shouldn't say very high deductible with how high deductibles are (laughs) in so many plans now. But you have a high deductible health plan that meets certain criteria that makes you eligible to do the best savings account we have in America called the HSA or health savings account. And so they are wonderful because they allow for ultra tax advantage growth of money and then free spending of money. But in your situation where you have a family coverage, you're not going to likely have any meaningful reduction and your costs for the plan, if you deleted her on your plan, and then she'd have costs for the plan she'd go to. Correct. So, so I think in your case, as shiny and attractive as an HSA is, you got to pass.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's that's my first instinct, too. So um, when we actually, uh, well, when I initially um, emailed you, it was during the uh, first 31 days of her open enrollment. Um, so, I actually waive it. <laughs> so, it's a good thing that I actually waive, um, well, she, that she actually waived the HSA account and she'll stick with my medical plan. So, I guess that, that, that was a So, good this is just, to...
0: this just affirmation, confirmation yes. that you did the right thing. I love that.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: So, I gave you customer no service. It took so long for you to get an answer. No, <laughs> no, but you then had to make uh, your open... own call. <laughs>
1: But the the, the open enrollment is coming up in October. So, you know, if I made a a bad choice, I can still, you know.
0: (laughs) No, you made (laughs) exactly the right decision.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, Perfect, Ben. Thank you so much for your time and help. Absolutely.
0: Uh, And you have a great day. Uh, You too. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Amy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Amy. Hello. Amy, you got a question for me that is an unusual one. Hit me with it.
2: My well I have a lot of siblings, but one of my younger siblings is moving to town for college and we already have several investment properties. I'm curious if I can co-sign with her and get a either single residence or up to a quadplex as a kitty mortgage.
0: So, it depends on the mortgage broker you'd go to or the financial institution uh, particularly a credit union that might hold a loan in portfolio and if you have multiple properties do you have a mortgage broker who works with you on placing
2: no because we buy them with cash
0: do you wow all right so if you are an experienced real estate investor and you're looking for housing for your sister it makes more sense to me that you buy just as if it wasn't your sister in the picture and you were just buying a place that after you know oh yeah and she can live there she can rent one of the units if you do a uh, duplex or quadplex or triplex or whatever and treat it like an arm's length transaction because The advantages to you with investor real estate are great, even if you choose to subsidize her rent as your sister, because what you're thinking of doing is different. You're thinking of uh, allowing her to buy her own place, and you would co-sign, so you would have none of the privilege of ownership, but you'd have the responsibility if she didn't keep up her payments.
2: Well, we would be paying the mortgage, and she would be pretty much the property manager for that particular property. Because I doubt we'll get a single resident.
0: Okay, then I would keep unit. it. I would keep it much simpler. Stay with the pattern of what you've done, and if you needed to borrow money for it, you borrow money as an investor, and you own the property. Give her. Uh, discounted rent as the property manager if you do a a multi-unit or if there's going to be multi-tenants in the unit that you would own. And you're giving her a sweetheart deal just by having your sister uh, rent at very low rent by being your property manager and you've accomplished multiple things just as with your other properties you're getting the, the favorable tax treatment of it being an investment property and you're going to be able to depreciate it you're able to shelter a lot of gain and uh, I see it if you think of it more like what you've been doing I think you've got a better business plan okay thanks because what's the advantage to you doing something where you're co-signing for her
2: so the advantage so the, the properties that we already have are single, and they're low enough to where we can easily buy them with cash. The multi, or up to a quadplex, to get it with her, we could put um, basically 3 to 5% down, whereas an investment, you have to put 20 to 25% down.
0: And you don't want to do that?
2: The ones we're looking at, because I want to keep her in a better part of town, are
0: mm, in Too the pricey. one...
2: To 150 range
0: okay all right so as a practical matter what's the ultimate goal is it for her to own part of this place or no
2: it's to get her through medical school and then continue it as an investment property
0: and she you are fine with her continuing to be an owner along with you of that property yes then what you have noodled works fine because if, if she was to be the owner with you and it allows you to qualify for a lower down payment, then you're good. But you have so many properties. How many properties do you have now? Seven. Seven properties. I can't imagine that you don't have a financial institution that will hold this in portfolio. You know, what that means is they hold it in-house. And because of the amount of real estate you have will make you a favorable loan and not require a large down payment.
2: I'll just have to get with some of my local credit unions. I'm sure that I can find one that has a portfolio lender.
0: Yeah. So I I think that makes the most sense to me rather than I want you to keep it simple and you're going to do this in a way that helps your sister. Going to get her through medical school with more affordable housing. I can tell your heart's in the right place for that. Just find a, a lender that's flexible and will work with you based on your track record. Today's Clark Regis moment is about being careful with your money, your hard earned money, when you shop online.
3: Scams, ripoffs, outrages.
4: It's a Clark Regis moment.
0: There's a report in the Guardian about how goods that you buy that are brand name are in greater and greater numbers shopping online counterfeits. And I wanted to share with you what items people are gravitating to to buy online as brand names that are likely to be fakes. Now, these are the most common items that will be when they are ferreted out, when they're seized that are found to be counterfeit. Number one, shoes. So when you see shoes for sale online and they're a a brand that you're excited about, gosh, you got a really high chance that those online shoes are going to be fakes, from really good quality fakes to really poor quality fakes. What else? Clothing and specifically any kind of leather goods. Uh, In smaller numbers, you're going to find musical instruments, jewelry, meds, spare parts of any kind, luxury watches being counterfeits. So when you do buy online, on any online site, including those that are the most recognized, I shared with you recently about the terrible problem that Amazon has been working so hard to solve and finally threw up its hands and said, we can't figure it out, how to figure out what's legit and what's not that we're selling through the Amazon marketplace. And they turned it over to the brand name goods manufacturers and said, you figure out what's fake on our website. That tells you what a big problem it is. So the answer is, if you're buying designer brands and you're shopping online, buyer beware, because there's no effective cop on the beat. That garment, if you're not buying it from an official outlet, very well may be a fake. No problem for me, because I don't care about brand names at all, but if it's important for you, it's Clark Rages. Welcome to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make Our main website, Clark.com. When you have a question for me, go to Clark.com slash ask. If you want to try to get me to answer your question personally, check that box you'll see along with filling out your information. Okay, so recently for one of our Clark.com employees, I had to get a new computer, the old computer they had died, and I wanted to get it to them quickly, so I ordered it online and instead of shipping it to my address of record for the website, I shipped it to their home. Well, let's say I attempted to because it never happened because when you buy things online, online sellers use all kinds of technology and many times outside services to try to figure out if it's a fraudulent purchase. See, this is so important for online because the way the law works now, the online seller, when card is not present, which is not going to be, they suffer the fraud. They suffer the loss, and they lose the merchandise. So they get no money for what they sold, and the merchandise is gone to the fraudster. So online sellers... Are getting especially in electronics. Are getting more and more freaked out about whether or not you're trustworthy. You're a safe purchaser, and you with many online sellers, you'll have a score. A lot of companies will use a third party uh, security company that comes up with typically a score. I've talked about these scores before. And companies will not sell to you if the score that comes up for you for a transaction shows that there's a danger that you're a fraudster or a thief or whatever. And so here I am with a purchase of a computer from a place we purchased a number of computers for Clark.com and... There I am buying the same computer we bought before, and the only change I made that failed the test was that I was using an alternate shipping address. So you never know when you're shopping online what is going to kick you out, and one retailer may use a completely different database from a different vendor than another, and one may be fine with you buying, another may not be at all. Or as in my example, an online seller I've used many times decided I wasn't safe because of a change in the transaction. And they'll tell you it's to protect you. It's not to protect you. <laughs> Don't believe that at all. But I understand totally why online sellers are reluctant to ship when anything looks wrong. The only thing that I wish was done differently by online sellers is that when their fraud system kicks you out, that instead of just canceling an order, that they would have a procedure to re-verify who you are. A lot of them, though, just uh, because of ease of use, just use a third-party database and use it as the red light, green light to send you merchandise. So if you ever have a problem that somebody's not going to sell to you, This is exactly what it is, is the credit card, it's essentially a credit card fraud detection system to make sure you are who you say you are. Thomas is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Thomas. Hey, Clark. Thanks, for taking my call. Absolutely, Thomas. How can I be of service to you? Sure. So I have about $7,000 in stock from a big box store, and I'm wondering if I should liquidate it and move it into one of my discount Well, the question would be based on first the big box store that you have the stock in, how much of your total assets does that seven thousand represent? Is it a lot, a little? Uh,
4: probably about like thirty five percent in terms of like
0: investments that I have out. So including anything you have, this is a third of the action. Yeah, that's not in like an IRA or 401k, yeah. Oh, no, throw those in too. If you were to throw those in too, what percent Uh, of what you got would it be? I mean, maybe 15, 20%. That's still too much. Yeah, having that much in one stock makes me nervous. But if you were to sell it, so this is not in a retirement account. This is just a regular investment account. You're going to generate capital gains tax if the stock has done well. Yes. So you have to absorb that. So then there's a question I would ask you. If you were looking at buying an individual stock today, is that a stock you would want to buy? Um,
4: Yeah. I mean, the company overall has done well over the past couple of decades. No, I don't, I don't see that changing.
0: And so you believe in the company, you believe in the stock. You're just nervous about having, like I am, you having that much a percent of your investments in that stock. Exactly. So, can I ask how old you are, Thomas? I'm 27. All right, 27. If it's a stock you believe in and it's one that you would buy again today, I would say don't buy any more of it. Don't sell it and trigger the capital gains tax. And instead, as you move forward, you want to do diversified investing like you are with whatever discounter you're with, where you're in index funds or whatever. So I would say that over time, you'll steadily reduce the percent that this individual stock represents rather than trigger a tax you're going to have to pay the capital gains to diversify away from it. You're already 85% diversified away from it. Isn't that what you said? It represents both. So I, I think if it's a stock you believe in and if you were buying one today, you'd still buy that one. Don't sell it. Just don't buy more of it. All right, cool. And then steadily with your retirement accounts and whatever investing you do, the share of what you have, it'll steadily shrink.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: You comfortable with that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so that that's really how I would approach it. If you were calling me asking me, should you buy it and have it be 15% of your money, I would say mm, probably not, but you're already in there. And inertia with all your other stuff, particularly your retirement investing, will steadily pull you away from that, and I'm happy with that as a strategy. TK is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, TK. How are you? Hi, Clark. I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for taking my call. Certainly. So you have something that you own something that I absolutely despise. <laughs> That's right.
4: Yeah, I uh, I you, have a uh, UL. Uh, life insurance policy I've had it for about 14 years
0: oh man for people who don't know what that is it's variable universal life and so you bought it um, this century which is good yes. because the real problems with variable universal life that caused absolute disasters for people happened for people who bought them in the 80s and 90s of last century so so you have something that I still hate, and if you were asking me <laughs> if you should buy it, I would say no, but you've already owned it for 14 years. Tell me how it's doing.
4: Uh, well, uh, right now I have a uh, cash value of about 63k, and uh, my surrender value is at 62k.
0: and um, how much have you, you, know, you paid I'm, I'm, in over the years to bring you to that? Oh, about 54000 Okay. Yeah. So At least you're not I'm, upside down. I'm not,
4: but I'm thinking uh, I think I'll be much better, as, as you recommended, getting a term life uh, policy and then uh, maybe playing, uh, playing the stock market
0: a little bit and uh, maybe seeing a little bit better performance that way. So, so I'm curious if you can remember from all those years ago um, – What was the pitch from the salesperson about why you should buy this variable universal life?
4: Oh, uh, he used um, that it was a a tax shelter to to get one of these policies. And that uh, he used a little um, uh, scheme called a dollar cost averaging, saying that it would perform at like 12% and uh, saying that you would be, you know, the value of this to be like three times greater than what uh, what I would think it would get. So
0: so you know um, that was a big fat lie because with what you paid <laughs> in and what you have now, you did not earn 12% a year compounded, not even close no. to this point. No. Yeah. So. And so when they make those false promises to you, many states allow insurance salespeople to give you a non-guaranteed policy illustration. And so they are allowed to make up any numbers they want and what they hand you, but then it will say in a disclaimer, this is just a demonstration or just an illustration, this is not a guarantee. So they can, within whatever bounds a state says, they can make up any numbers they want to make their product look great. And most people with Variable Universal Life are in much worse shape than what you described. They're upside down and have to do what are called capital calls where they have to come up with money or instead of it being some form of tax shelter, it's a huge tax time bomb where they lose their money and get hit with a giant tax bill. So you're 14 years in. I want you to spend an additional $135 to find out what you should actually do with that VUL.
4: okay
0: there's a guy there's a guy who works for the consumer federation of america who used to be the insurance commissioner of a state his name's jim hunt or james hunt whichever he prefers to go by and he will do a full-on evaluation of that variable universal life policy and tell you what you are best suited to do now okay and um I've got a website for you to go to that explains the whole process, and then okay. you'll know what to do. It's called EvaluateLifeInsurance.org. Okay. And that Thank would be you. a very well-spent one thirty five dollars because you've already got uh, $63,000 tied up in this. That's a very cheap way to find out what you should do with this insurance. Okay. I will do that. Thank you. Sure. And... Do you know yours is the best story I've heard about variable universal life in years and years and years? I don't think I've ever had a caller who the policy was worth any more than what they paid in it, and usually it's worth a lot less. Oh, I see. So at least you're above water in a situation where a guy made up stories and told you all kinds of junk about how much money you were going to make, at least... You didn't lose money to this point. So we got to count our blessings. In this case, those would be the blessings.
3: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Kathy's
0: joining us on The Clark Howard Show. Hi, Kathy.
3: Hi, Clark. How are you today?
0: Great, thank you. How can I serve you, Kathy? Kathy.
5: I had a question Um, I've been looking into, I've always been interested in agriculture and that came from growing up on a small farm. I live in a state that is, well, has been approved for two of the universities here to uh, look into growing and uh, processing hemp. My question is, I understand there are 31 states that's already approved for the hemp growth, but my question is, would it be something to invest in now or wait to see what's going to happen as far as the taxes or state requirements on the product?
0: Yeah, so um, hemp farming is something that, has been big in Canada, and as you mentioned, state by state is becoming legal in the United States. There was always a a shadow that hung over it that somehow people could get high from hemp, which you can't. And so now that there's a recognition of it, there's a maturing about it, it is something that's going to be a regular cash crop. And it's only a matter of all the laws around the country catching up on that, and it has great uses that go back forever. Do you know that um, I heard that it originally goes back to sailing ships a zillion years ago. That's what they made the sails on sailing ships out of, that it's a really tough, strong fiber.
5: Um, Yes, and that's how they made their sails, their ropes, everything they had, all the way back to Egyptian times, I mean, way back hemp has been used for numerous products
0: and uh, there are a lot of uh, clothing designers that love making summer clothing out of hemp and so it will be a a routine crop as to whether it's a gravy train to jump on nobody knows who's going to be successful with hemp farming and it's just too hard to tell So when you say invest, you mean investing in somebody else's farm, not you growing hemp yourself.
5: Yes, um, there are some pilot projects starting in the state that I'm in. And um, some of the farmers have already uh, been working with two of the universities here. And I know they have to have a certain amount of startup. And to buy in with their startup was 22,000.
0: And is this through a promoter or directly with the farmer?
5: This is directly with the farmer. And from what I understand, the universities, if it completely passes, um, that much right now, I would not have to invest with one of the farmers. Uh, what would be the best way to purchase stock in it? For Well,
0: I, I don't recommend that you do that. And... I'm nervous about you investing with a farmer you don't know personally. Okay. You know, I think this is an industry that in some ways parallels the marijuana industry and that we're still in such early days. And unless you are intimately involved with an enterprise or have direct knowledge and involvement and you invest with somebody you know, I think it's too hot to handle. I think you stay away because we just flat out don't know what is going to be a successful investment and who are going to be the people who break through and are able to be profitable with this as a crop. So I think you stay on the sidelines for now. Give more of more time for it to emerge if this is going to be a profitable cash crop and how you would figure out who the winners are going to be too early for that you're listening to The Clark Howard Show Thanks for joining us today The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese and Jim Ayers and remember, 24 hours a day we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com